imaging features of gastric lymphoma. Lymphoma typically causes thickening of the gastric wall and associated with adjacent lymphadenopathy or lymphadenopathy since it's a lymphoma. Now, there is a term that describes the spreading of lymphoma through the gastric wall, particularly the pylorus, and it's described as crossing the pylorus. It crosses the pylorus without causing obstruction, and that's typical for all small bowel or gastric lymphoma, that they do not cause obstruction, rather they cause dilation. There are two types, either low-grade or high-grade. Low-grade is typically maltoma or mouth lymphoma, and the high-grade is a non-Hodgkin lymphoma type. You're shown an ultrasound with a vascular lesion of the liver with spoke wheel appearance. What they're trying to get to, they're trying to get to FNH. Again, FNH is a hypervascular lesion that would have the spoke wheel appearance on duplex imaging. Additional liver lesions, for example, a hemangioma is an echogenic lesion of the liver. FNH is typically hypoechoic. Common etiologies for linitis plastica. Linitis plastica re- refers to the leather bottle appearance of the stomach where the stomach wall is thickened and the lumen caliber is decreased. Most commonly can be seen in gastric lymphoma because we said lymphoma diffusely involves the wall while lymphoma can dilate the lumen as we said previously. It can also uh, causes decreased luminal caliber, particularly in the stomach when it causes linitis plastica. can be associated with gastric carcinoma, metastasis, especially breast cancer. Differences between Belroth 1 and Belroth 2. Belroth 1, they just remove the distal stomach, so stomach and pylorus are removed, and then the stomach is attached to the duodenum. In Belroth 2, we remove the stomach, probably some of the duodenum, and then reanastomose the stomach into the jejunum, which leads us to few complications. Again, Belroth 1, you just remove part of the stomach and reanastomose it into the duodenum. Belroth 2, you remove the distal part of the stomach and reattach the stomach into the jejunum. Common complications seen in Belroth 2, commonly dumping syndrome. That's where the stomach empties too quickly into the jejunum. This is because we removed the pylorus, which really regulates how much food the stomach empties into the small bowel. We have increased risk of gastric cancer. As you can imagine, we have altered the anatomy of the stomach. You are shown a CT scan the level of the liver with a cystic lesion that is hypoattenuation in the center with peripheral hyperattenuation or high attenuation. And what diagnosis they're trying to get at? They're trying to get at amoebic abscess, and this sign is described as the double target sign, which describes the periphery of hyperemia or enhancement due to the inflammation. Again, amoeba 
amoebic abscess, double target sign in the liver on a CT scan. Imaging features of GIST or gastrointestinal stromal tumor, the way I think of GIST as I think instead of GIST, I say just, and I say it's just a tumor. So in my head, that tells me that it typically just involves the small bowel and stomach. And if it metastasizes, it only involve or just involve the liver. Again, just stands for just, and it just involves the stomach and small bowel, does not typically metastasize. If it metastasize, it just involves the liver, and there is no lymphadenopathy. Again, I remember them all associated with just the liver, just the small bowel, and no lymphadenopathy. Imaging feature, this is a small rounded mass or multiple masses within the bowel wall, may have some arterial enhancement, and big lesions would have cystic component, which would cause heterogeneous enhancement. Again, may have some arterial enhancement. Larger lesions will have degeneration or cystic components leading to the heterogeneous enhancement. What is recurrent pyogenic cholangiohepatitis? This is also known as oriental cholangiohepatitis. I don't think you'll ever hear that in an exam. Rather, remember the name recurrent pyogenic cholangiohepatitis. What it is is multiple gallstones within the duct or bile duct, intrahepatic bile duct. This causes dilation of the biliary duct and commonly involves the left lobe. This is a risk factor for cholangiocarcinoma. Obviously, chronic inflammatory process will lead to increased risk of cholangiocarcinoma. Again, if you see multiple stones within a biliary duct, you've got to be thinking of recurrent pyogenic cholangiohepatitis. Developmental milestones of HCC. Well, first, we have cirrhotic liver. Then we get regenerative nodules on in the liver, these regenerative nodule would then progress to a desmoplastic nodule, and then the desmoplastic nodule would then advance into HCC. Now, as we switch from regenerative nodule to a dysplastic nodule, there would be increase in the arterial supply and decreased of the portal vein supply in the dysplastic nodule, meaning at the level of the dysplastic nodule in the tumor genesis will have a conversion. Normal liver cells have more portal supply than arterial supply, but as we know, HCC is an arterially enhancing lesion. So in the pathogenesis of the HCC, once a regenerative nodule switches into a dysplastic nodule will start formation or recruitment of arterial supply and that's a key mark of the dysplastic nodule. Is afferent loop syndrome this is a syndrome or presentation commonly seen in Billroth 2. Now after Billroth 2 we have an afferent limb and efferent limb. Anything proximal to the gastrojejunostomy is considered afferent limb, meaning all the bile secretion, all the pancreatic enzyme will empty into the afferent limb. Anything distal to the gastrojejunostomy is considered efferent limb. Now, afferent limb syndrome or afferent loop syndrome 
relates to obstruction at the anastomosis, which can be related to multiple causes, you know, internal hernia, post-radiation, a mass, or anastomotic structure will cause that. What's the presentation? Typically, patient presents, depending if it's an acute or chronic obstruction, they present with severe postperitoneal epigastric pain with projectile bilious vomiting. I'm not entirely sure how they would present with projectile uh, bilious vomiting, but I guess if the obstruction at the distal anastomosis, all the bile would come from the afferent limb and empties into the stomach, and that's how they get the uh, bilious vomiting. But regardless, this obstruction will resolve when the patient vomit. Now, chronic obstruction, as you can imagine, if it is peripheral, uh, if it is closer to the afferent limb rather than the anastomosis, may even cause acute pancreatitis. Again, afferent loop syndrome, seen with Bilroth 2 because of the gastrojejunostomy, there might be a stricture for or obstruction for one or two many reasons that we just mentioned and present with postperitoneal abdominal pain or bilious vomiting that resolves with vomiting. What marks stage three esophageal cancer? So when it involves the adventitia, it is considered stage three. If it involves adjacent organs, then it's considered T4. You're shown a coronal slice CT scan of the abdomen with what looks like architectural distortion or uh, dysmoplastic reaction in the mesentery adjacent to the ileum. What's the diagnosis? The diagnosis is carcinoid tumor, and then you look for a enhancing or bright lesion that would be the local carcinoid tumor, typically in the bowel wall. Again. Uh, hypervascular mass in the bowel wall. If you see dysmoplastic reaction that looks like architectural distortion of tethering of the bowel, these are classic features of carcinoid tumor. Again, you only get carcinoid syndrome if the carcinoid tumor would metastasizes to the liver. AIDS cholangiopathy versus primary sclerosing cholangitis. The key thing to know about AIDS cholangiopathy that it is associated with papillary stenosis. Now that's how I remember it. AIDS is associated with papillary stenosis and then everything else I kind of related to the papillary stenosis. As we said, it's papillary stenosis and AIDS, which means to me that the stricturing that we have in the biliary duct is extrahepatic, and so we have extrahepatic biliary stricture, typically longer than two centimeter, and it's typically focal stricture, just like the papillary stenosis. It is a focal stricture. Now, primary sclerosing cholangitis, we know that it has the classical beaded appearance of the biliary ducts, both intrahepatic and extrahepatic biliary ducts. And it is multifocal, small areas of stricturing, and proximal to the stricture, we have biliary duct dilation. Again, AIDS cholangiopathy, just remember, it involves papillary stenosis as well as extrahepatic long segment strictures. 
When I say long segment, I mean something longer than 2 centimeter as compared to primary sclerosing cholangitis, which is a couple of millimeter in length, followed by the dilation of the biliary duct, giving it the beaded appearance. Imaging features of gastric adenocarcinoma. When I think of gastric adenocarcinoma, I think of a localized polypoid mass that is ulcerated and infiltrating into the adjacent tissue. The infiltration into the adjacent gastric wall tissue will give it the will give the appearance of the mucosal irregularity. And when it involves adjacent tissue outside of the stomach, we can get the lymphadenopathy and metastasis to adjacent organs. If it involves the adjacent splenic vein, obviously we can get thrombosis or even obstruction of that vein, which can lead to gastric varices. Which markers tend to be elevated in cholangiocarcinoma? Tumor markers for cholangiocarcinoma are a hybrid between tumor markers of colon cancer and tumor markers of pancreatic cancer. So we have increase in both CEA and CA199. Now let's review classic tumor markers. In the liver, HCC classic tumor marker is AFP. Of note that the majority of HCC tumors are not AFP secretors. So having a AFP that is within normal limits or borderline elevated does not mean that there is no HCC. Pancreas cancer, we have the CA199. The colon, we have CEA as a tumor marker. What is a well-differentiated HCC. Now, well-differentiated HCC is an HCC that returned its OATP transporter. The OATP transporter functions in bile uptake, and because it uptakes bile, it will uptake the biliary agents and if we do an eovist scan, it will uptake eovist and retain uh, eovist. Another re- lesion that retain eovist is FNH. Again, well differentiated HCC will retain eovist just like normal liver cells. FNH will retain eovist past 20 minutes, and so it will be bright when the liver cells starting to excrete eovist. What is a spigelian hernia? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. So a spigelian hernia is a hernia that occurs along the lateral border of the rectus muscle of the abdomen and typically inferior and lateral to the umbilicus. Again, it is a hernia or defect in the lateral abdominal muscle wall. What is primary biliary cirrhosis? This is an autoimmune disorder that is result of destruction of small and medium-sized bile duct, typically seen in middle-aged women. Again, we said destruction of small to medium-sized bile ducts, so large bile duct as well as extrahepatic biliary ducts would be normal in size. Additional name for primary biliary cirrhosis is primary biliary cholangitis. Again, primary biliary cholangitis is the same thing as primary biliary cirrhosis, and we said typically involve middle-aged women, and it involves destruction of small to medium 
intrahepatic biliary duct and presents typically with pruritus and there is elevated AMA or serum antimitochondrial antibody. Tumors associated with Cowden syndrome. The most common tumor seen in Cowden syndrome is breast cancer. Additionally, we have additional cancers and additional features that we need to think of. The meat de clos, which is also known as dysplastic cerebellar ganglocytoma, and this is the target uh, or tiger skin appearance of the cerebellum. We have GI hamartoma and skin and face lesions known as trichilomomas. And finally, thyroid cancer. The thyroid cancer is follicular adenoma. Again, Cowden syndrome, we have four cancers. Breast cancer being most common, limite de clos or dysplastic cerebellar ganglocytoma, GI hamartomas, and thyroid cancer. Which portal vein becomes involved in fibrosis in cirrhotic patients? The right portal vein is involved early on in fibrosis compared to the left. That's because the right portal vein has a longer intrahepatic course. And as you could imagine, there is a bigger target for fibrosis to involve it. Imaging features of eosinophilic esophagitis. This is an autoimmune disorder. It's really debilitating for patients who have it as they cannot tolerate any food. But on imaging, what we have, the term to describe it is ringed esophagus, which is describing multifocal, thin concentric rings, just like uh, esophageal webs, as well as long segment of strictures. Again, long segment of stricture or thin segments of stricture. The key thing is that these strictures will persist on multiple imaging and multiple views. This summarizes uh, my notes for the GI section. I hope you guys benefited from uh, this podcast. Please, please, uh, if you have a chance to review my podcast, this way more people can find out about it. Thank you.